So anyway, turn to the person next to you and say good morning to them. And say to them, I'm done with daylight savings time, right? Because this is like, we need to keep it the same way. Yes, for those of you that are joining us through Church at Home, welcome. Man, we are glad that you are here today with us. We're excited. Okay, grab your Bibles, your devices. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 16. And uh, before we do that, I want to remind us, I think it's important that we know this, that not only do we have a congregation here, but we have a congregation online, people sitting at home today that are watching. And, and, and so I wanted to say that today, Reba just uh, told me that someone was watching. We have a very sweet lady here, Emily Holton, who attends here, who is struggling with cancer right now. She's watching this morning. And I want to say to you, Emily, as you're watching today, hey, we love you as your church. We are praying for you today, and we're believing God for healing for you. I know you're struggling right now in this life, but God is with you. Amen? God is with you, and we are with you as her church. Can you say amen to that today? Can you say amen to that? Yes. Amen. So you have been working through Romans for 24 weeks with us. Isn't that amazing? 20, yeah, like that's a woohoo moment. That is absolutely right. 24 weeks. And through these 24 weeks, we have talked about things like faith and our works. And we've talked about grace and the gospel. We've talked about how we value life. Hey, we've even talked about politics and government and you're still here. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, because we know that the worst subject you can bring up at the dinner table is what? Politics. That is right. We've talked about our responsibility to our political environment. We've talked about that. We've talked about how we're better together in community. We've talked about how we domesticate sin in our lives. That's a sticky one, isn't it? That's a tough one. We talked about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. We've worked through text that deals with same-sex attraction. We've worked through text that deals with divorce and marriage. We have. We have said the word circumcision countless times. We have. And you're still here. That is absolutely amazing. It is. And so what I realize is that experts tell us that it's not wise to ever do a sermon series longer than four weeks because you just don't have the attention span. Can I tell you, the experts are wrong again, right? Yes, you showed them. You 20 weeks on them. What do they know, right? Get rid of that. Here is the deal. It is so powerful to you and I. And when we get to the end of the book of Romans, which we are today, verse chapter 16, it's not the credits at the end of a real good movie. So I I just want you to know that. It's not that at all. Have you ever sat through the credits of an end of a really good movie because you think there's going to be some secret revealed, right? There's going to be something about a sequel that's going to kind of let you know what's going to happen and everybody else is leaving. You're sitting there because you think you're in the know and all of a sudden just the screen goes black and there's nothing there and you feel kind of foolish and uncomfortable because they're cleaning up popcorn all around you and you feel disappointed. Can I tell you, you will not be disappointed in chapter 16. I guarantee you, you will not, because Paul finishes powerfully. He really does. He finishes powerfully, because what Paul does, he chooses to do this, what I call the doxology. He chooses to bring the doxology to us today, the ending of all of this, talking about people. He's talking about people. So grab your devices. It's Romans chapter 16, starting with verse 1, because he first talks about Phoebe. It's a woman that is, he... um, well, well, let me tell you about their relationship in just a moment. But I want to talk about our sister Phoebe is first. So Romans chapter 16 and verse 1 says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centrea, 
that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and keep her in whatever she may need from you or, or help her with whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And so I have to answer the question, who is Phoebe? And, and then why does Paul entrust her into the church at Rome? And so I start with this fact about her, that she's not Jewish. We know by her name, Phoebe, that that is a Greek name, so she is not Jewish. And in light of that, she has a story. Yeah, we talked about that. Matthew talked about that. That's our Easter series starting next week, my story. And, and so she has a story. And being that of being a Gentile, then what we realize is that she may have come from an idol-worshipping background, raised in an idol-worshipping home, maybe even been an idol-worshipper herself. So she has this powerful story about the gospel. She is a product of the gospel. Oh, and because of that, she would realize that she didn't choose God. God chose her. That God loved her before she loved him. And it's through his faithfulness that Paul calls her a servant of the church. That word, that term, a servant of the church, I think it bears weight for you and I to discuss that. That we should take a moment to start this teaching this morning to talk about women and ministry. That's an important topic for us to talk about, women in ministry, because Paul talks about that. Why would you want to do that, Mark? Is it because it just mentions a, a woman's name, Phoebe? No. Could it be that there are some males in the room that struggle with women in certain positions in ministry? Now it's going to get uncomfortable in the room, isn't it? Yes. Or could it be, could it be that there are some males in the room that feel like that women should be able to simply move to a certain level in the church leadership, but after that, there's no place for them. Now it's really uncomfortable in the room, isn't it? Yes. But that's not the audience I want to talk to. And if that's you, then I pray that God simply works on your heart today as a man. But what I want, who I want to talk to are the women in the room for just a moment. You, women, that would limit yourself somehow in leadership of the church because of stigma in the back, uh, history of the church, because of what has been said to you or what it has, how you have been raised, that somehow you have believed that there is a limit to how God can use you in his church. Here's Phoebe. It's, it's, she's a, she's a, a deliverer of Paul's letter to the Roman church is who she is. But don't stop there. She's an envoy. Is exactly, she's an envoy. That means that she's a representative. She's Paul's ambassador. This is powerful because she comes with the letter. And then I thought, well, how's the best way to explain that being an envoy? It's like texting. You say, Mark, that's a weird analogy of Phoebe and texting, you know? But it's like texting that you send a text. And no matter how hard you try to master the language, to communicate, you know, what you want to say to the individual, that you're unable through the language many times to express your emotion or how you feel. I know all caps is yelling, right? Yeah. Have you, do you have that person in your life that always texts you in all caps and they have no idea what it means, right? Yes. And you want to tell them? Tell them now, okay? Turn to them and tell them right now. They need to know that. And so the reality is that you, it's hard for you to express your emotion. And then all of a sudden you send a text and you're misunderstood. So let's kind of level the ground for a moment. How many of you have ever texted somebody and they misunderstood your text? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Good, good. If you didn't raise your hand, you have no idea what texting is, right? Yeah, you're still on a flip phone. Yeah, I know. I know. That's okay. That's what you need. That's perfectly fine. That's right. Yes. 
And so that happens. I think I told you this story one time that I'm sitting in Starbucks line, wait to get a coffee through the drive-thru, and I'm texting Reba in the morning, and it's like one of those romantic texts, you know? You got to be careful with those, right? And it's a romantic text, and, and I said, I love you, I really miss you. It was already morning. I hadn't been gone from the house very long, but I did. And so I sent her that little face with the kissy thing, you know, coming out of its mouth, like on the side, and I sent that, but then all of a sudden I realized I actually sent that to one of our staff members and not her. And it was a female staff member, right? And it was bad. Do you know what I did? I, gra- I called her on the phone. I said, hey, listen, disregard that. That was meant for Reba. Call your husband right now and let them know that that was a mistake. And never mention this again in your entire life. And I just told you about it, right? Yes. That you can be misunderstood completely in those areas. And so thank God that some years ago, by a miracle of God, that God created emojis, right? And because of that creation, marriages have been saved. Relationships have been mended. The world is a better place because we can express ourselves through an emoji now when we text. Yes. You say, Mark, is Phoebe an emoji? No, that's not what she is. No, absolutely not. She's a carrier of the letter, but she's more than that. She's an envoy. And what that means is when the author writes a letter like Paul, that sometimes the words lack expression. And so when she takes this letter to the Roman church, she brings that expression. They say, they read this, they think this is the understanding. She says, no, because Paul has taught me. That's a powerful point that Paul has taught me. So she is able to explain his words and give expression to his words. She's more than just a deliverer of the news. No, but she is a servant of the church. And when I find that term in the Bible, it's the same term that means deacon or deaconess. Yes, it's a person that comes along beside the pastor and assists them in the work of the ministry. And, and we, have, we have a group of individuals called the executive leadership team here that functions like that at Hope Fellowship. But yet when I look at this word deacon or deaconess, it has two meanings. It means she can either have a general servant's you know, call to the church or she can have an official position in the church. And I thought, what is Paul talking about? And when Paul ties her specifically to this church at Centrea, what we realize and what historians and theologians would tell us is that she holds a very specific official capacity at the church at Centrea. She does. And, and so you say, well, Mark, what is all this about? Because in this culture, in this culture during this time of Paul, women are viewed as property. Women are viewed as property. And if you're a woman in the room and you say, I have been treated like that in the past, can I say on behalf of the male population, I am sorry for that. Because God never created you to be treated that way. Never. But in this culture, that is the way they treated women. And so in this culture, Paul sends a woman with a letter. I think it's great. And she has an official office in the church. It's not the position. What is the important part here is that Paul establishes Phoebe as a co-laborer for the sake of the gospel. Is exactly what he does. She's this powerful, influential co-worker of Paul that God has created to fill this place in the church. What I'm saying to all the women in the room today, don't limit yourself. Just because tradition says something to you. Live by the scriptures. Understand that. If God has called you to a place in the church of leadership, then you simply feel that place of leadership that God has called you to. 
And do it powerfully like Phoebe does here. These are great words for us, I think. This is about gender, yes. But it's about more than that. It's about you and I simply living our lives out in our faith. It's living out the book of Romans is what it's all about. Because this woman is powerful and influential. She fills that space in her church very powerfully. And she's not in the workroom making coffee for the men, but she's bringing the gospel. Amen, Mark. That's good. That's really good. Yes, absolutely. I'm not talking about ignoring gender. (laughs) Boy, that's a whole sermon within itself. I'm not talking about that at all this morning. But I'm talking about you and I celebrating the diversities that we have in this room. Because it's the diversities, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, that actually gives us strength in this room. It is. That God uses male and female. God uses Jew and God uses Gentiles. He does. And so don't let anyone hold you back. And stop holding yourself back. Do the things that God has called you to do. And celebrate our diversity in the middle of all of that. It's important that we understand it because this is the powerful message of the diversity in the church. Is what this is. This chapter is the powerful message of the diversity in the church. Of both male and females. Of both Jews and Gentiles. As they come together to make up the church. Let me read these texts to you in a moment. There's a lot of interesting names here. Understand that. And I'm not the British guy on your Bible app. Okay. That reads scripture to you. When you listen to it on the phone. So, And I can't even do a really good British accent. So I'm not even going to try. But here is what Paul says to us. Look at this list. He says greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their home. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, that they will know they, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplidius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophania and Trophosia. Don't you love these names? Aren't they great? If you're looking for names for your children, there they are. No, look no further. Yes. Greet the beloved Pesius, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Um, Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asinius and Phlegon and Hermes and Potosius and Hermas and and the brothers who are with them greet. This is the best one right here. Okay, this is the one that you want to name your child by. This is it. Um, It is it is simply Philogius. Isn't that a great name? Philogius. Yes. Could you imagine a a second grader or third grader writing that Philogius? Right. Julia It's wonderful. Nereus and his sister Olympus. And his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 
wow, I'm worn out. You know, I just need to sit down for a moment. That's wild, isn't it? You say, why all of that? Why? Mark, you could have just said, go home and read these verses. No, I want to give the scripture the, the, the value that it's due. And I want to read those names. It's important. Because if you go back and research those, name, research those names, there's such diversity. That's the beauty of all of this. There's such powerful diversity in all of this. That's the reason Paul lists these for you and I. You know, he le- lists these people that have been influential in his life. And here's the beauty. It's not just all males, is it? No, it's not. It's not just all pastors, his preaching buddies. It's not that. It's not just his relatives at all. It's not that. It's a diverse group of people. And there's no institutions mentioned. It's people. I think it's one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that reminds you and I that as a believer and to be a healthy believer that community is not optional for us. Do you realize that? That community is not optional for you and I. It's not. So in here, we see this diversity of ethnicity. First of all, there are Jews and Gentiles all mentioned on the same list. It is. Yes, Paul sets out to paint this word picture for you and I. A powerful word picture for us today of how the early church looks. It's a melting pot. And because of that melting pot... There's a lot of challenges because there's a lot of differences in people's lives. Can I tell you, our diversity is a very good thing. You say, Mark, what do you mean? Because it's our diversity that sharpens us is what it is. In our diversity, we act as sandpaper for one another's in our life, one another in our lives. We do. Have you ever thought that the person sitting next to you this morning... God is using that difference that you have with them to be sandpaper in your life to knock off the rough edges and refine you. Have you ever, you say, Mark, you have no idea. The, the, the ride in the car over here was hell. It really was. It was bad. Yes, kids screaming. People, you know, can't find clothing. I, hey, we've, we put our child, our Grayson, in the car before to go somewhere. I don't know if ever church, but go somewhere. And we get there, and he looks at it and says, I forgot to put on shoes. What? You forgot to put on shoes. How did you know not to do that, you know? So you, have, you don't understand. I know what sandpaper is, and I know how that affects my life. Our diversity helps us to grow beyond the place that we are today. Understand that. It's the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is not just a saving element of our lives. The gospel is also the growth of our lives in Christ. It really is. And so what we have is we have this great unity as a divine gift of God that's discovered in the middle of the beauty of how different we are from one another. But there's also this diversity of economics in this list. There is. Because in this church, man, in this list, well, you have those that are, are descendants of royalty. They're descendants in here of Herod. And you have those that are leaders and leaders of households in their community. You have a city treasurer that he'll mention later on. And then you have Rufus and you have Urbanus. And Rufus and Urbanus are very common slave names. And here's the beauty. They're all sitting together in the same church. You have Prisca and Aquila, who were co-workers, who were driven out of Rome in 48 or 49 AD because of the riots in Rome. And so the emperor drove them out. And they find themselves back in that church, in the middle of Rome, risking their necks for Paul and the gospel. 
You have the rich and the poor. You have the strong and the weak. Leaders and members, families and friends. All those that have deep, deep relationships with, with Paul and those that he just barely knows. Because the gospel will always bring us back to this list of community. Why? Because we share commonality. And our commonality in this room today is Jesus. And because Jesus is our commonality, then what happens is this. It acknowledges our differences, but it doesn't allow those differences to become divisive in our lives. That's it. I don't want, God doesn't want us all to be alike. I don't know if you know that or not. He doesn't. He doesn't want us to all think alike either. That we all have opinions and views of things. And that's the beauty of all of this. So in light of Christ being our common denominator, then the past and that of gender and that of economics and that of ethnicity, even though we recognize those things, there's a beauty in those things unifying you and I. So I have a question. Here's the question. How diverse are your relationships? Wow. Wouldn't that be a great one to turn and ask your neighbor who you've already said good morning to? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. They would never say good morning to you again, right? How diverse are your relationships? Does everybody that you surround yourself with look like you? Uh, Can I get in trouble for a moment? Does everybody think like you do? Does, Does everybody view the things the way that you do? Is everybody in your relationship sphere of, of influence, are, are, you here, are you all the same color of skin? Now it gets uncomfortable in the room. Because I can tell you, if you're only surrounding yourselves with those that look like you and do not resemble this list that Paul gives us in chapter 16... But if you're only surrounding those that think like you and look like you and view the things in the world that are simply like you view them, can I tell you, you're probably not going to grow beyond the point that you're at today. I'll be shaking hands in the lobby and wishing you a great week when you leave, okay? And you don't have to face me. (laughs) That I love you. And this is truth. This is truth. Paul ends that portion of 16 with verse 16. And he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the single guys in the room have been waiting 24 weeks for that, haven't you? (laughs) Today's practice day. Aren't you ready? Get a mint. You know, you had coffee. You got to get a mint, right? You got to get a mint, you know. Lick your lips. Get them all moist, whatever. And you say, Mark, that's gross. No, let me tell you. uh, Here's the thing that... If, if you're a single college guy, that's not gross. Understand that. But here's, here, here's the deal. <clears throat> and I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how, does, how do I illustrate this? And so Reba and I moved to Florida from Lee University in 1982. That's a one. She just, I just saw her lips. She said one. Yes. And, and those are the lips I like to kiss, by the way. At least I just want to throw that out there to you. Okay. Just throw I know. Woo. It's getting, it's getting like little... R-rated here, so here we go. And uh, and so uh, and 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 so anyway, that I didn't lost my train of thought of thinking about the lips. Okay, <laughs> and <laughs> oh god, 
There's people at home on the couch kissing right now. I know you are. Y'all stop it and listen, okay? Now, here's the thing. All right, so that, that we moved to Florida to our first, well, actually, here's the way this all worked. It's, it's powerful that, you know, you think, well, Reba followed my lead is, and, and I went to this church. And that's not true, that I actually followed Reba. That was great. We were married, and she let me come along, and it was really a nice thing for her to do because uh, she, she got a job. And, and so <clears throat> she got a job with, well, I won't tell you who it is, right? But it's the people you pay your taxes to, but we'll move on beyond that. And so she moved there with them. And um, so the, the, we moved and went to a church one Sunday morning. And come to find out, I knew the pastor. I didn't know this. And that Sunday was, and I've told you this story before, but that Sunday was that youth pastor's last Sunday. And I was looking to be a youth pastor somewhere. And he said, hey, dude, this has to be God. You're here. He's gone. You're in. And that's the way it worked. And I was there, right? We were there. And it was an extremely diverse church. It really was. It reflected demographics of South Florida. And, and the word South over in front of the word Florida has nothing to do with it whatsoever, okay? Realize other than geographical location because this church was just cram full of, of Italians from New York. It was, and it was great. It was wonderful, right? It was really wonderful. If you go to the house for dinner, it's four hours. Take a pillow because it's a long time. You don't get up. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't get anything. They serve you. It was just a, it's a wonderful opportunity for community. But here's the thing that I had to get used to. They kiss each other all the time, you know, right? And, and so I don't, I'm this southern guy, you know, and, and, and so I was taught when growing up that you only kiss, you only kiss your relatives, and you only kiss your, your spouse, you only kiss your girlfriend, and you never kiss your crazy uncle, for sure. But that's, that's the only people that you ever kiss, right? And, and then all of a sudden, I come to this church, and they're kissing everybody. They're kissing me, okay? Okay? And, and the guys are, and it's not a gender thing, but the guys are coming and they're hugging me and they're kissing me. And I think, dude, this is either the best church on the planet or this is the weirdest place I've ever been. I need to go somewhere else. And, and so they did. So there's this guy that I became very good friends with. He was part of this big family in this church. And, and so he was my fishing buddy. And every place he saw me, no matter where it was, and it didn't have to be church, anywhere that this guy saw me, I got kissed. I got kissed. I did. I really did. I used to see him in Publix shopping. And if I saw him before he laid eyes on me, you know what Mark did? I went back out to my car and sit in the car until he laughed because I didn't want to be kissed in the middle of Publix other than by my wife. It wasn't a gender issue. It was I just didn't understand. It was. And, and when I read this, I ask myself, why does Paul put this about greeting others with a holy kiss? Because the key word here is not kiss. Now, for all you single guys, that just bummed you out, right? You want your offering back if you gave online. You can't retract it. Okay, so here's the deal, right? And, and so it bummed you out, right? Because the key word here is holy. That's it. Because here's the point. Holiness is a matter of our hearts. And so what Paul is teaching us is this. That it's our heart that is translated into the behavior with our hands and here our lips, right? It is. It is. So that that holy kiss is a sign of value. It's a sign of value for those that you're greeting. It's powerful. Because in that culture, here's the thing. You had to have a heart change in your life for a Jew to kiss a Gentile. You really did. And for a Gentile to kiss a Jew, there had to be some kind of heart change within your life. There did. Somehow you had to value a person that you were taught to devalue completely. 
that you were taught that you would never go to their home, you would never hang out with their family, you would never break bread with them ever within your life, and if you did end up in their house, you had to go through a cleansing process after you did to get you pure again, and now those people that you were taught never to even break bread with or go into their house, now you're kissing them. Because it's a work of the gospel. It's a powerful work of the gospel that when we make Jesus the centrality of our lives, it changes everything and it changes the way I treat you and I love you and I care for you. It changes everything about my environment when I make Jesus the centrality of my life. And even in the middle of all of our diversity, we have unity because of that. Wow. So you say, man, I like this kissing thing now, right? Yeah, you're liking it. And what I realized through this, oh, wait a minute. And then I I have one more thing to say to you. And that is turn to your neighbor and greet them with a holy kiss. No, don't do that. Okay, that was a joke. And for some of you, it's like too late. He kissed me. We'll be performing marriage ceremonies at the end of the service, okay? And we'll just take care of that right now. What it says to you and I is that we never outgrow community within our lives. We never outgrow that. No. Here's Paul. Paul is amazingly important man. But he's not shut off in some prophet's chamber all the time with just him and God. When he writes this, Paul is neck deep in friends. He is. And they're not all apostles and they're not all preachers like him. It's not that at all. And I think what we have is we have this tendency for you and I to drift into isolation. And even as we get older, we do. We tend to drift into this isolated moments of our life. Can I tell you, God never designed you to live in isolation. That's why, that's why years ago, prisons used it as a punishment. Because it's completely against how you were designed as a human being. Someone once said that simply that we were never designed to grow in a secret garden. And I read that somewhere and I added to that. That's true because we're designed to grow in the middle of other flowers and many times a whole bunch of weeds. And you were never designed to just live with God and you, just the two of you. That was never God's design for you. It wasn't. People say, well, all I need is God. I realize that. And that's a statement of dependency, but that's not a statement of community. It's not the way that God made you. If you look at Adam, and I have to, you know, I'm Mark. I have to uh, somehow throw Genesis somewhere in here at some point, right? And you look at Adam. Adam is perfect. Before sin, Adam is absolutely perfect. And Adam lived in a perfect world. And so when I realized that, I realized this, that out of of Adam's perfection comes his loneliness. Does that make sense to you? Out of his perfection comes his loneliness. It was not born out of sin, because when Adam is lonely and God makes Eve as a companion, that was way before sin had ever taken place. It was. And I thought about this a lot. Adam is in this perfect world, perfect paradise, but he's, he's lonely without any humans around him. You say, oh, Mark, I would love to be in paradise alone for a long time without any humans around me because everybody just gets on my nerves. You're going to get on your own nerves, right? That's going to happen. Yes. 
Adam had all the me time that he ever wanted and he hated it. He did. Because the loneliness that you're feeling today, listen to me for a moment, and I have to move on. But your loneliness today is not a creation of your dysfunction in life. In fact, your loneliness is part of how your body desires to be healthy. Your loneliness is simply saying to you that you were never created to be alone. You were created for community with others. That's powerful. That God brings this group of ordinary people into community together. Look at verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. That's the gospel. That's straight from the book of Genesis. It, is, it happens in the book of Revelation. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so does Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman. Tetris. That's not Tetris. I read that wrong. I, I had I, all of these and I practiced these so much, right? Tertius. It's Tertius. It's Tertius. That's it. It's Tertius. I practice. That's the hardest one for the whole list for me is Tertius. And I don't know why. I even phonetically wrote it out and I would not even dare tell you how I phonetically wrote it out. But it's, it's on my notes. You can't see it. Okay. But it's Tertius who, who wrote this letter. Uh, Greet you in the Lord. It, it is the scribe. You think, well, here's the thing that, that Paul, you know, he wrote this all by himself. He doesn't. No, he, he, he simply dictates this to somebody. And Tertius writes this for him. You got Gaius, who is the host to me and to the whole church, greets you. You got Erastus, the city treasurer, and you have his brother Cordius, Cortus, uh, greets you. And here's the thought. And we get to the doxology. Most of these people you will never hear again mentioned in Scripture. But yet Paul sees them as such influential people in his life that he lists them all for you and I and for me today to have the joy to read to you, right? Never diminish your impact upon the sphere of influence that you have in your life. Never. Whatever position you feel, in church and relationships, never diminish that within your life. Ordinary people make extraordinary impact. So he ends with a doxology, verse 25, and this is where we end today. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, and I underline that, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forever through Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's the end of Romans. But is it really the end? Because the gospel or the power of the gospel is not just given to you as the saving element of redemption, but it's also given to you and I as the sustainer of our redemption and our relationship with Christ. The knowledge and the experience that you guys, that we have in God of His grace and His mercy 
that nothing we get we deserve and nothing is earned, that we didn't choose him. He chose us. All of that allows you and I to love each other in the middle of how different we are. It's the thing that changes the way I see the world. And so I begin to see the world around me through grace and mercy and not sitting in a seat of judgment. It frees me in my life to get it right and many times get it wrong, which I do. It's the element that enables Jews and Gentiles, wealthy and the have-nots, those that are understood and those that we struggle to understand, to greet each other with a holy kiss of value. The gospel is the, the strength for our journey from the real of our lives and where we are to the ideal that Christ has set for us. It's the strength. That's what Paul tells us. On the way home from Charleston yesterday, Reba and I are listening to a teaching by Chip Ingram on generosity. That it was so powerful, I, I wanted to take an offering from Reba in the car. There was just two of us, you know. But to, what's mine is hers and what's hers is hers. And so that's just the kind of the way it works. And, and so that's not biblical. Um, But he used this this illustration of Job. And let me give you a little scenario of what's happening with Job, and and then we'll pray together. Job's kind of cruising over the earth, and he's looking for somebody to really make miserable. That's what he's... I mean, I'm sorry. Satan is cruising all over the earth, and he's looking for somebody to make miserable. To test. So then there's this meeting of him and God, and... God says to him, God makes a suggestion to Satan. I think this is interesting. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? Because there's none like him in all the earth, he said. That he's blameless and he's upright. and he's, He fears me and he turns from all of evil. Have you considered my servant Job? And I thought about that as how, how that would apply today. And, and so I put my name in there. Could God say about me, have you considered my servant Mark? For there's none like him. Because he loves all people in light of the gospel. He values everyone as I created them fearfully and wonderfully made in my image. Have you considered my servant Mark because he's kind? He cares for others. He's not perfect. But have you considered him? And could I go around this room, and I won't do this, but could I go around the room and place your name in that statement? Because I think it's a moment to really search our hearts. Because here's the thing about Romans. You have to do something with it. You can't just...
kind of let it lay there in your hearts and your minds. It has to be dealt with. It's one of those books. And so I leave this question with you. In what area of your life has the book of Romans challenged you? And then you have to answer the next question. What is your next step? Because it's very easy to list all the ways it has somehow touched your heart or spoke to you. But what are you going to do with that? Right? Because what I realize, and you can leave that question up for a moment. What I realize is, if we believe in the gospel, then ultimately we must become like the gospel. There has to be that transformation in our lives. So, what do you do with 24 weeks? Is it reduced to a bunch of markings in your Bible? And I hope you have done that, or notes on your Bible app. Or, I saw somebody not too long ago, and my wife does this, that all those notes are all stuck in your Bible, and your Bible has grown from that thick to that thick, right? You know, it's like that, right? And you do that. And I love that. I love it. Or is it more than that? Is it something here with inside of you? That you say, God, you know me and you know all the things that are going on in my life. And here's how Romans has spoken to me. Now, God, here's my next step. First of all, I give this to you, Lord. I give this sin to you. I give this issue to you. I give this person to you. I give the unforgiveness of my life to you. God, I surrender that to you. And God, I'm going to place that at your feet. But yet, Lord, I have to simply put some some works with my faith, you know, and, and I realize that I'm saved by faith, not by the works. But yet there has to be some action within my life. There needs to be some action. So what do I do? Hey, can you have coffee with me tomorrow? I really need to talk to you about something. And you pray today, God. I'm hurt, but tomorrow I'm going to sit in front of this individual and I'm going to release them. And when I release them, it releases me. And I'm going to love them and I'm going to care for them. And I may just get all buck wild and greet them with a holy kiss. You never know. You just never know. So what are you going to do with what you've heard? So would you bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes? Nothing magical, I know. A moment of reflection, cutting out all the distractions. For those of you that are at home, I know it's a more difficult for you, but to just take a moment to close out the distractions. And let's pray together. Father, words cannot sum up these 24 weeks together. The things that have been done through your scriptures, through the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives, can just not be put into words. But God, I know that your work is not done within us. And God, you have given us your word to complete what you begun within us. And so today, Lord, how has this book 
spoken to us, your words, God, spoken to us, and then what is our next step within our lives? And let's take that step. Father, let this go beyond all of us of just praying about it, but let's pray about it and then take the step, Lord. Let this be more than good intentions. Let this truly be a work of our life today. Not that we are growing or trying to gain acceptance with you, Father. We have that. But yet that we want to please you out of love and obey you. And want to make you known through the way we love others. So, Lord. You ended your letter so well today for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for challenging us in the loving way that you do. Now, God, we will respond. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our hearts and our lives these 24 weeks together. And you will continue to finish what the Father has started. 